Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, and also thank you to all my listeners from all over the world. Never, ever give up hope is now in over 120 countries, and this absolutely thrills me to know that the message of hope that each one of my guests give from all corners of this globe is one of just that, hope, because there are people no matter where we come from, no matter what our educational background is or our ethnic background or our financial position, people go through circumstances where they need hope and that's what Never Ever Give Up Hope does. It gives stories of encouragement, they're enthusiastic guests who have gone through situations that they never thought they would find a way out of and they did and so for that I am so thankful for each guest and their remarkable stories. Today with me I have one of those people who has been through a tremendous times in her life where hope was just basically a thread to hang on to. She went through many things which she is going to share today that would make a lot of people just want to roll over and quit. But Cheryl picked herself up, brushed herself off, and she has an incredible attitude. And she is enthusiastic. I have met her personally. I can tell you that she is a breath of fresh air, and you are going to enjoy her story today. Her name is Cheryl Giesbrecht, and she is a radio personality, the author of two books, including one I just love the title, Get Back Up, a great message to those of us who have felt that we've been knocked down and beaten. Get back up, because when we get up and go forward is when we realize the hope that is there for us. She is also a teacher and a speaker. Cheryl has had to overcome the challenges of addiction, cancer, and even widowhood. She has endured much, but she's exciting to be around, and you are going to be challenged and encouraged by her story today. Welcome, Cheryl. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much. Welcome to you, too, and thank you for having me on your show. Cheryl, let's start with your childhood and tell us why you turned to drugs. I uh, have a uh, family that, uh, as the oldest of four children, my dad was a very important businessman, and he was very so important that each time that he would gain time for a promotion, he would be asked to move. 
And so as the oldest of four kids, we moved around a lot about every two years to 18 months. And for some, that doesn't seem like a lot. Uh, but for a person like me who likes to stay in one place and get settled in, it really was difficult. So um, I moved around a lot. That meant new schools, new church surroundings, new neighborhood. And it also meant that I had to start over with friends. Uh. And that was probably the hardest thing for me was starting over with friends. So when my family moved to the place that my parents now live, uh, it was it had been a couple of years before that where we had moved to the Bay Area of California that I realized that it it was something that was going on within groups of kids at my school that they were doing things that I thought helped them fit in. And so when we moved to the place that they now live, I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start <laughs> trying to fit in. And as I did those things, I began smoking cigarettes. I began drinking alcohol. I began taking drugs. And as those things they kind of deceived me into thinking that I was going to fit in. And guess what? I even felt more left out when I, when I was doing those things. But I also was numb to my situation. So by the time I was 13, I became a full-on drug addict. And along with the lifestyle of being involved in the chemical addiction, I also got involved in supporting my addictions, which meant to breaking the law and doing all kinds of things that were not healthy for me uh, personally, but also my soul. I was really bankrupt in my soul. Oh, I like the way you worded that, bankrupt in your soul, like you were empty. I was, and that's, I kept thinking the more high, if I can just get more and more high. I mean, I, Carol, cannot tell you how many times I had near-death experiences because of the drug overdoses. Some were intentional. I Yes, I tried uh, to end my life. I thought, you know, if I can succeed in committing suicide, then people will know who I am. And it was important to me that they I was going to make an impact in some way. See, back then it was not about what you did. It's about the kind of influence that you have in, in different people's lives. That's interesting what you said about being noticed. You know, I think that especially today, even more so than when you were a teenager, it's becoming more and more that, there's no communication anymore. You know, everybody's communicating via uh, a device, and we don't have that contact, that one-on-one. And I think that, do you believe that that's one of the reasons that you have a lack of contact in your life where you felt that somebody was really cared? Or Yeah, that's so good that you would even bring that up because that was one of the things I remember feeling like I was not heard. Yes, I was the oldest of four kids. Like I said, that was one thing. But my mother was a working mom. My dad was a working dad. I mean, he worked so much. But then when he did have health problems that brought him home, that's when he and I started really. um, I was in my rebellion and he and I did not Uh, get uh. at all because of that. So there was a lot of family dynamics. And, you know, the whole thing with being involved in drugs and alcohol and the whole lifestyle that goes along with it. It's an unhealthy place to be, but you it's you you have gotten into it so much that you think it's normal. It's it's what I guess you're deceived to the point that you think there's no way that you can get out of it. And for me, I was raised in the church and I kept thinking that there was no way if there is a god 
that God would want anything to do with me because I've committed the most unpardonable sins. And why would he want somebody that has done all this stuff? So you were believing a lie, basically. I was. You were lying I, I, to yourself, and which made you feel useless and hopeless and worthless. I And, you know, the more worthless that I felt, the more things that I tried to do to help myself feel better about it, which meant uh, just doing all kinds of illegal and immoral stuff, but also getting higher than higher than I could ever be. And, and, and it, it was an endless pit. It was a bottomless pit. Uh, it, it was strange because it felt like a cavern that I kept falling into and I couldn't get out of. I was reading something the other day that goes right along with this, which was really interesting. And it talked about uh, heroin users. And there is something in the brain that heroin triggers to make you believe that the only way of survival is through heroin. And I think that is true with probably a lot of drug users and drug types of drugs that you nothing else matters because your survival is what matters. And in order to survive, you have to have that particular drug. Do you agree with that? I agree totally with that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, it's not even necessarily a worth or worthless situation as much as it is a survival, mm-hmm. which is what it comes to, right? Mm-hmm. That's how, sure. how sad that is. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for sharing that part of your story. And, well, how did you get out of it? Let's, let's continue on with that. So what happened? I had had a couple of near-death experiences. One of those was a motorcycle accident when I was 15. And I did basically, um, I, I was high. I thought that I knew how to ride a motorcycle. I got on my boyfriend's bike and I did a face plant into a brick wall. Yeah. And went to the emergency room. My mother was is an RN, a registered nurse, so she was working in the labor and delivery ward at the time. So she comes downstairs to the ER, and there I was, my face all beat up. I was alive, really, and not well. But that was the first of several things during that following nine months that led me to the point of feeling desperate. My thing was that I really thought that if I could prove myself that I would um, show everybody who I was and what I could do. So um, that was my junior year. That was the summer before my junior year, or the summer before my sophomore year of high school. The summer before my junior year of high school was when I um, got an opportunity. My dad was a board member of a camp, a camp up in Lake Tahoe, California. And he pulled some strings to get me a summer job at this camp. And it was at that place that people that worked there, they were believers in God. They loved me unconditionally in a way that I'd never been loved before. And I had been raised in the church, but yet people in my own home church, even when I was going to church in my addictions and everything, they were very judgmental. They were critical. They were not accepting me. They kept telling me, if, you, um, if you're going to come here, you need to clean up your act. You've got to straighten up. You've got to get rid of your black fingernails, your weird hair. And those were things that I felt were, well, if you're, if you're Christian, then you shouldn't be like, you know, that's how most of us feel about the church is if you're rude or you're mean, then why would I want to love a God like that? So I go to this Christian camp 
And these people, it was just amazing. They loved me like I'd never been loved before. That's awesome. I'm hiding my black fingernails and weird hair as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) But no, that... You know, the other thing I was thinking as you were talking is, now we haven't shared, of course, the end of your story yet, but as you're speaking, let this be an encouragement to parents. Because just as your mom, who I can only imagine what she thought when here she is at the hospital as a nurse and you come in with your face bashed up and she's probably has all kinds of emotions, including anger and fear and judgment and guilt and on and on and on. And yet here you are, um, a woman who is on the other side, totally and able to help people. So be an encouragement to parents to have kids who are wayward and sometimes you just want to throw your hands up in the air and, and think there there is no hope. But you are definitely sharing with us today, even in this first segment of your story, that there is hope to the parents for kids who have gone through stuff like this. So I thank you for that. Well, I, I talk to parents all the time, literally, Carol, because there is no one who is too far gone. And in fact, that's one of the things that I do in my community. I work with women who are in residential treatment at our local women's shelter uh, because I feel that much of my, my story has to do with reaching into those people that have been overlooked, even those people in our society who people think, oh, you know, they, there's nothing there. Uh, that person is, they're gone, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I really, um, I really feel like that parents need hope, um, but also um, the person who thinks of themselves, like yes. I did, as yes. somebody who is too far gone for God to want. I right. mean, that was me. I felt like I was, there's a scripture in the Bible that talks about that the Apostle Paul, he was a missionary, but he thought of himself as the chief of sinners. And that's the way I thought of myself. You know, some of the things you can probably fill in the blanks as of far course. as some of the things that I did that I wasn't, am not proud about, but I can also really relate to many people that are in those circumstances where you feel like, oh, you're, I'm just, I'm just too far gone. Why would God want me? A lot of times, and I know you will agree with me that some of the things that we go through that we are ashamed of are the very things that are used to help somebody else. A lot of the things that you have gone through, think of all the people that you are helping now, you and many others who have experienced these things that can now be encouragement to somebody who may feel just like you did at that point. So tell us about the cancer. You, uh, When did this happen and, and um, whatever you want to share about that? In uh, 2004, uh, I found a lump underneath my left eye. And here in our uh, valley, the Central Valley, there are a lot of allergies. And I really thought that that's what it was. That was, you know, we have lumps, we have cysts, we have styes. And I started taking my allergy medication like I usually do. It was in March of Uh 2004. And that didn't help. Uh, I changed all my eye makeup. I thought of everything. I tried to think of everything that, uh, that mm-hmm. well, it turned out that the lump was growing. So by May, I had two friends, one whose dad was an ophthalmologist. And by then the lump had grown so that it was blocking my vision on my left eye. Oh so my goodness. It up to my pupil. That's how much it had grown in two months. So I did what my friends said. They make an appointment. I go into the Kaiser ER 
you know, they, I, it was one of those things where I didn't like plan ahead very well. So I go into the Kaiser ER and I, the doctor uh, looked at the lump, she touched it and her eyes just bugged out with dismay. She sent me to it. And I could tell that it was something really, really bad. She sent me to a specialist, an ophthalmologist who did lots of treatments, MRIs, PET scans, CAT scans. And finally it was the biopsy that showed that it was stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, my word. It was in five places in my bone marrow. Oh, my goodness. So it was not only in the lymph node of my lower left eyelid, it was in my bone marrow of my right shoulder, my arm, my elbow, and the femur of my left leg. So oh. as you can imagine, it cancer in your bone marrow um, uh-huh. lymph- is a blood disease. It's like leukemia. Yes. I don't know much about it, but I, I found out that it, I had about a 63 chance, 63% chance of, of making it um, through. Thankfully, I had um, gotten this diagnosis and the treatment, the prognosis at the time that there was some cutting edge chemotherapy that was being tested at that time. And I was in one of the first few groups to use this, uh, this chemo and it just it it was the right thing for the right time. And so you are cancer free, I'm assuming. Yes. Yep. That was in 2005 that the doctor said we uh, we've gotten it all. And thankfully, I go now once a year for a blood test, and it's just amazing how the chemo took care of it. But you know, I believe that God is one of the ones that. One of the one of the many things that we have to give credit to for this too, because uh, not only did God use my doctor, He also used the chemotherapy. But He He brought together our church and people literally around the world through their prayers to pray for me and to pray for the healing of the cancer. That is amazing, and I'm glad that you shared that. Again, it's something that people can relate to, and considering how severe the cancer was and that here you are cancer free it's nothing short of a miracle doesn't matter you know if it was doctors or the chemo or whatever it still is a miracle that you are alive and well and that wasn't the only thing that you had to contend with because you also lost your husband so tell us what happened there well, that's what was bizarre about the whole thing. My, my first husband, Pastor Paul, was the one who sat with me through every chemotherapy treatment during the cancer. And then about four years later, we were at a retreat. I'd done a speaking engagement for a women's group here in Chesterfield, and he, had, he was an avid motorcycle rider, and I wasn't into it for obvious reasons from, from my drug days. <laughs> so um, Pastor Paul had visited me at the retreat center, and... We were planning to go to dinner that evening, and I had gotten in my car, and he was on his motorcycle. He pulled around in front of me and gone around a slight curve, and within the next few minutes, I turned the same curve in my car, and he should have been right in front of me, and I noticed that he wasn't, so I kind of turned to the side, my left, saw something twinkling, sparkling out of the left eye, and turned, and there was a motorcycle laid out on its side. And then I turned and I was like, oh, that's Paul's bike. Where did Paul go? So I flipped my car around. And you know how everything happens in like right. a second. This yes. was just, you know, um, just a twinkling of an eye, if you will. So I turned my car around and I find that that was indeed Paul's motorcycle. 
and he had flown over the fence and was on the other side of the fence in a field. Now, this was a remote area. There was no cell phone service up there. There were no other vehicles, no animals, nothing. Don't know how still the motorcycle accident happened. But when I go up to Paul, I saw that his back was still heaving up and down. And I run up to his side and I asked him what happened. He was totally not, he was out. Um, And I waited for help. I, I stood over him at that time and I cried out to God. I prayed aloud for his healing. I asked um, for help. I, like I said, there was no cell phone service and I had to wait to flag down cars. There were several, I, it seemed like an eternity, oh, about 15 minutes before I could get someone to stop and help me. I did leave his side for a few moments to see if I could get help. There, all the, the cabins nearby were abandoned, so nobody was home, but hmm. that was like within eye distance, I could visually see him still and I could still see his back moving up and down because he was still breathing. Well, within that next few hours, he was airlifted because of the severity of his injuries. He was airlifted to a trauma unit. It was in that helicopter that he had a heart attack, which actually took his life. His, um, you know, that it just, to me now, seems very historical and even explaining it. But yet, even going through another holiday without Pastor Paul here, it just seems so strange that he had gone through cancer with me, and we were married for 28 years, partners in ministry. And how did you cope? Well, wow, it, it's, it's a process, Carol, as many of you, you know, you've lost loved ones, and even we love our animals. It's nothing like losing a person. However, it's a grieving process. I was in grief counseling for uh, years. Um, I went through some classes, one a great class called Grief Share. But the biggest thing that helped me, the biggest, probably the, the most important thing that I did for myself was I was very honest with God about my feelings, about all of it. I had anger. I had fear. I had um, discouragement. I had um, bankruptcy. Um, I had many things that widows face as you, mm-hmm. look to, you had one income or uh, I'm sorry, dual income. And now I had to support myself. I had to work a lot. I worked two jobs for several years and how I coped was being honest with God about how I felt about my situation, which, you know, it's not pretty, it's messy. It's very messy. Yeah, when I when I was honest with God about my feelings, I went and found that there were many others who had gone through the very same thing. That I would choose God's ways and not my ways to get through this thing. That not only was He going to help me get through, but also He was going to help me help others. Helping others through something that you and I have been through really encourages us that it makes sense out of nonsense, even though it never makes sense for someone to lose someone close to them. Um, someone that you love dies for whatever reason. I don't know. I, I have a really hard time saying goodbye to people I love, um, even in uh, visits and things. But I think when we have gone through um, losing a spouse, losing a child, losing a loved one, um, it helps us realize that we can be compassionate 
and help others through in the same way that others helped us through it. You know, it's like going, finding your way on a trip. You usually, it helps you to follow a map or now we use our GPSs. It's kind of like we have someone who can help us find our way. That's very true. And, you know, a lot of times we never do get the actual answer to why we had to suffer or go through something that that we had to endure. But um, I think where the maturity comes is to not question it constantly, which I know some people, and I'm sure you've met them, will end up in pity parties and that's all they can think about. And Mm -hmm. it's our attitude that gets us through. And that doesn't mean it's any less um, of making an impact on us or any less hurtful or anything else, but it's the grief process which eventually will accept what happened to use it to help others. I think that is huge. I mean, you can relate to women who have gone through cancer, who have gone through drug addiction, who have children that might be going through drug addiction, to those who have lost a spouse or someone close to them. And not that we can't all sympathize when we see people going through these things, but you can come from a, a position of empathy that unless you've gone through it, you really don't grasp the severity of it. No. And I know, I know that that has been, it doesn't, doesn't take away the pain, in other words, is what I'm trying to say of what you endured, what you had to go through, but it certainly does help uh, others to glean from that, from your own experience. And for that, I'm sure you are thankful in some form. I'm thankful. You know, Carol, it's been a process, but it's been amazing that God has healed me um, from not only the drug addiction, the cancer, but also from the loss of Pastor Paul. And now I'm I'm looking to help families to blend because mm. God, as as God would have it. I'm going to just say that because it really was his idea that I find a new husband. It was not in my plan. I was willing to work hard two jobs and to continue to be um, serving, but also um, doing my thing as I did, you know, but I, I really am amazed that um, this gift of love um was available to me because, you know, it would have been easier for me to keep my hard heart um, isolated uh, yes, in, a, yes. in a recluse mode. I was really happy to just be a recluse and to not be loving, not not love anyone again because I did not want to lose anyone mm, again. I did not want yes. to be hurt again. And you know how that is with people and animals that we've lost. It's so hard. You think, well, I don't want to get another pet because <laughs> I will get too attached. Mm-hmm. How many times have we heard that? So that's, that's right. what I about a husband. I thought, no, I'm not going to do that again. I've been married. I was happy, thankful, got my memories. I'm good. But um, <laughs> loving again has really been one of the richest experiences that I have really encountered. And I... I know, though, that I wouldn't have been able to do it unless I was for sure that it was something that was a gift that I needed to receive. That's, I like the way you put that. That's fair. Now, what inspired you to write your book? Was it these experiences or tell us what inspired you and tell us a little bit about your book? 
Get Back Up um, is my second book, actually. And that one I wrote after Pastor Paul had been promoted to heaven. Um, and it was basically my story. And I wanted to put it into a, a tangible way that people could access some of the lessons that I learned. It was It's called Trusting God When Life Lock, Knocks You Down. And there are 10 lessons there of ways that we can have our hope restored. And, you know, when we, the only way for me is to know the God of hope, because I had no hope at that going through the loss of Pastor Paul was, was devastating. It was not my plan. It was unfair. It was horrible. It was a nightmare. It basically was my worst nightmare. Getting through that could only have happened with God's word, the Bible, and my desire to draw closer to God through it. I made a choice like I did in the cancer. I made a choice not to give the negative things that death brings into your life um, more attention than I gave God because uh, many people become victims when they go through (laughs) drug abuse, cancer, you become a patient, you, you're victimized. And same thing with widows. You've probably heard it in your, your ministry too. You, you, you hear from people and, Oh, I'm just a, a doubt. Uh-huh. So, you know, I'm just a, a cancer patient. I, I'm just a, I'm just a drug addict. And you know, when you speak those things over yourself, then guess what? You probably That's right. do those things instead of saying those things about yourself, say, no, I, I'm, I'm, um, free from drugs. I'm free from bondage. I now am a recovered cancer patient. I am not just in remission. I'm done with cancer. And that's what my doctor says. He says, I've never seen anything like this before. You, you, you're, you're done. He tells me you can come back in 10 years to see me, but I tell him I'm going to come back every year because I'm praying for him to know the God who heals. And then the same thing with my husband, my new husband, I was really done with men. I thought, you know what, men, I know you have men listeners too, but I just, I'm the type of woman that I'm good with just me, but God had another plan. You know, it's interesting what you said, and I often think of this uh, regarding what we say about ourselves. And when in Alcoholics Anonymous, when they when each individual introduces themselves and they say their name and they say they're alcoholic, I do understand that they have that tendency or that addiction, you know, that in their their DNA. Mm-hmm. But um, it's like a constant affirmation that I am, in fact, an alcoholic, and that always grieves me when I hear that, mm-hmm. because I think there is a better choice of words. They could say recovered alcoholic or whatever, because I do not want to say that I am thus and so when I am no longer that. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you're saying as well? Yes. When- Speak truth over yourself. Speak life and not death. That's right. That's exactly. Absolutely. So I appreciate you bringing that up. So you wrote your first book. You've written other books. And tell us about that and also about your radio show. So what do you, what, in other words, what Cheryl is doing now? So my third book is Experiencing God Through His Names. It's a 31-day devotional on the names of God. I start with the name of God, Father, and I go into some of the Greek and Hebrew names of God to help people pray to God, but also to understand his character and his attributes. 
So the reason why I wrote this book was because out of my need, I was a a young pastor's wife. I was tired and I needed help. The names of God are um, 31 days. It's the name of the book is Experiencing God Through His Names. And it's really exciting to, to see different people getting the book and enjoying it, but also being involved in an online study group. Mm. I've got the second study, or I'm sorry, this is going to be the third study group beginning January uh, 2017. So, and the Im- information will be all over um, on my social media sites if anyone's interested. And I'm sure I'll have some more during the next year. And explain a little bit more for the audience of what you mean by the names of God. Well, God in his um, his omniscient, well, his, he is a great God who avails himself to us through different names. It's as if you and I were looking at a postcard of the Grand Canyon. So if you go into those little gift shops, you'll see different snapshots of different views of the Grand Canyon. And the same thing with the names of God. So you can pray about, let's see, one of them is a common one, Father. Uh, many of us pray Heavenly Father. But for some, Father is not a positive image of God because their own biological father maybe was negative mm. or rude. And so I talk about that in the book. I talk about how to get through and, and restore God as your perfect Heavenly Father, even though you may have been disappointed by your earthly Another name of God is uh, Jehovah, my shepherd. It's Jehovah Rohi, which is the Hebrew. It's R-O-H-I. And so when you think about praying to Jehovah Rohi, Jehovah means God in Hebrew, and Rohi is shepherd in Hebrew. When you think about praying Jehovah Rohi, oh God, my shepherd, it's all about understanding that Jesus is tender, that God wants to be known to us or known by us as someone who understands us, who cares for us. Uh, Maybe uh, some of us don't live around a place where there are folds of sheep or herds of sheep, but but you kind of have the image of shepherds that they are the ones who take care of their flock. They carry those wounded lambs on their shoulders, and they always lead the sheep back to the place that's safe, and they make sure that they have water, and they make sure that they have ample amounts of food. So that's kind of how I think of the name of God, Jehovah-Rohi. It's that he tenderly cares for us. This name of God was specifically encouraging to me when I was grieving. As a new widow, I felt raw. My emotions were, I felt Uh. like I was bleeding to death emotionally. And so I went to Psalm 23, which most of us know is the shepherd's psalm. If you've been to any funerals, you know that they probably will say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so I took that scripture and read it to myself out loud many times, and I experienced the tenderness, the love, the nurturing of Jehovah Rohi. Sheep aren't that smart, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And they they come running when there's food there, but other than that, they'll wander off and, um, you know, they they just, they really need a guide. And I think that's basically what you just shared is the shepherd is the guide and giving them not only what they need, but also to lead them and to guide them. And so if we just look at at a flock of sheep, Uh, we will understand that even a little bit better. And when one is hurt, 
the shepherd will stop everything to attend to that one who hurts. And I think many of us can relate to that too. So true. That God cares so much about us that he will attend to our needs, just like when you were a teenager and a drug addict thinking that God didn't care about you. Because mm-hmm. the fact that you were hurting, he probably cared even more, if that's even possible. And to bring you back to total restoration and healing of where he wanted you to be. So that was a very good analogy that you used, and I appreciate that. So your radio show and... What are you doing now, Cheryl, and also your call to action? Uh, the radio show, Carol, is called Transform Through Truth. I really believe that there are many people in the different areas that you and I are at that don't really understand what transformation is about. And why I use that word is because I was stuck in the area of feeling hopeless even after I turned my life over to God as a teenage drug addict, uh, things got better for a while, but I felt guilty. I felt shame. I felt unworthiness for 20 years. Mm. When God showed up and, and helped me through understanding what this area was about, he had me grasp onto the basic truths of going back to the fact that he loved me unconditionally. Even like you said, when I was in my drug addiction, I, I had, there were so many times that I could have lost my life or because of the crowd I was running with, um, things could have been done to me that would have ended it all. But God protected me. And I needed to understand that even during the times that I felt like vulnerable as a cancer patient, he was still holding me close to him. He was allowing me to go through it. And that's the key is going through mm, it. Mm-hmm. That's I right. got stuck in that area for so long. I My desire through this radio show is to help people get through whatever it is they're going through and to help them realize that if you keep on moving, you can be transformed through truth, through believing things about God that are true. But it's not just about authors. It's about people who understand what it means to be transformed by letting our mind be renewed by God's word. Again, I thank you for your enthusiastic tone and your enthusiastic and encouraging, very encouraging message. And any last words? If anyone is interested in being in either one of my study groups, I have a a study group that just concluded called 21 Days Forward. And that one is a way to break through any habits, bondage, instilling any new new things that you want to implement. Um, Some people did a project where this one woman just recently cleaned out a closet that she had been dreading (laughs) facing. So 21 Days Forward, it says that it's up to 40 days that it takes to break a habit. But for me, I'm one of those impatient people, so <laughs> 21 days forward is a really great thing, and I look forward to next year. I'm going to be implementing three or four more of the 21-day forward groups. Oh, excellent. As well, yeah, as well as the Experiencing God Through His Name study groups. Um, the study group is going to require the purchase of the book, which obviously you need for going through the study group. And that, those are both private Facebook groups. So they're online Facebook groups, but they're private groups where I think I'm going to do some more uh, video um, on those, um, some more live video feeds 
personally in the 21 days forward i think it's it's always nice to have like minds people that want to uh change something in their lives and to move forward to have that encouragement because we all need that i don't care who we are so send me the links we'll put those in the show notes and then people can uh contact you and uh, we can take it from there and i appreciate you you mentioning that i was not aware of that so i thank you and (laughs) thank you cheryl once again for everything that you shared today and uh, we look forward to connecting with you and for staying connected in the future thank you cheryl you bet thank you for listening to never ever give up hope featuring carol graham Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.